Hi there, this is Pastor Tim. I'm the minister at Eastside Church. We are a United Methodist congregation in East Atlanta Village. We seek to be creative, historic, and inclusive. And we are thrilled that you found our podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church community, you can visit us at www.eastsideatl.org. Well, again, friends, good evening. Welcome to worship with us on this Ash Wednesday. It is a privilege and a joy to be with each of you here tonight, and we are glad that you have made the time and the space to begin your Lenten journey with us this evening. Our third reading this evening comes from um, the prophetic tradition. Yet again, the first reading was from Joel. The second reading was from Jesus and Matthew and also his own prophetic voice. And this third reading moves us back again to the Old Testament prophetic tradition in the book of Isaiah. The lectionary every year um, has the same cycle of readings for Ash Wednesday. It doesn't have a three-year cycle that it kind of works through. We always come back to the same exact readings every year at Ash Wednesday. We are reminded of some, some intense themes and we are set out together on an intense journey. And the text we're about to read does not pull any punches, but it continues to help us lean into what we are endeavoring to do together as a community. So friends, as you are able, if you would stand with me for the reading of Holy Scripture. Isaiah chapter 58, we'll begin reading in verse 1. The prophet writes, Shout out! Do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Announce to my people their rebellion, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet day after day they seek me and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that practiced righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. People say, why do we fast but do not see? Why humble ourselves, but you don't notice us? God's reply, look, you serve your own interest on your fast day. On your fast day, you oppress all of your workers. Look, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to strike with a wicked fist. Such fasting as you do today will not make your voice heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day to humble oneself? Is it to bow down the head like a bulrush, to lie in sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast, an acceptable day to the Lord? No, the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. It's, is it not to share your bread with the hungry? to bring the homeless poor into your house, to when you see the naked, to cover them, and to not hide yourself from your own family. Then your light shall break forth like dawn and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be like the noonday. 
The Lord will continually guide and satisfy your needs in parched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to live in. And the prophet shifts from fasting to the Sabbath as he writes, if you refrain refrain from trampling the Sabbath, from pursuing your own interests on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath the delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, serving your own interests, pursuing your own affairs, then you shall take delight in the Lord. And I'll make you ride upon the heights of the earth. I'll feed you with the heritage of your ancestor Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Friends, the word of God for us, the people of God. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, on this night we gather in your name. I ask God that as I preach, these words that I have prepared might indeed be your word for your people in this time. I pray, God, that you would speak through them. And as and where necessary, that you would speak in spite of me. And as I preach, God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the collective meditations of all of our hearts in this place in this time might indeed be good, right, pleasing, and acceptable in your sight. God, our rock, God, our redeemer, God, our healer, God, our goal, God, our aim, our highest love. We pray all of this in your name. Amen. Friends, you may be seated. Well, my, my suspicion is that for the majority of you in this room, your first experience with fasting, which all three texts are clearly talking about to some extent or another, most of your experience with fasting has probably not been, and maybe this is a bit judgmental, and if it is, excuse me, I don't mean it to be uh, negative at all, but it's probably more in the context of uh, the medical field probably fasting before you have a blood test or maybe before you have some kind of an operation done. Some of you know the 12-hour fast, that then you can only have liquids three hours before you go in for certain procedures and blood work. And it's wonderful as long as your appointment is first thing in the morning, right, because you get to sleep through most of the discomfort. It stinks when it's right about three in the afternoon and you are struggling through the entirety of your day. And as you're stopping for gas to go in to get your blood drawn or whatever it may be, and you look at the gas station and the the vending stuff in front of the cashier, you're like, I've never had a desire for licorice. And right now, like, root beer flavored licorice sounds good. What's going on here? But fasting is something that probably most of us in this room, um, at least probably not in, in large in part, have, have a ton of experience with. It's not something that until recently with some of the new health crazes has been even something that has been talked a lot about. And it's actually been sort of poo-pooed upon by a lot of the medical community as being bad for our bodies um, until, like I said, recently some, some newer um, theories have emerged. But there can be some distance when we encounter ancient texts like these with a really ancient religious community and how they interact with this idea of fasting. What does fasting have to do today with my spiritual health, my spiritual life, with my practice of my religion, my Christianity? 
Each of our texts this evening for Ash Wednesday kind of come at fasting from their own angle and with their own sort of um, theological and prophetic voice and challenge to the people that are listening. In the first reading that Karina led us through, the prophet Joel, he's essentially explaining to the people that dark days are coming. It's this kind of, you know, the clouds are rolling in and y'all have not been living up to your part of the covenant and the divine is not happy with us. Therefore, to avoid what dangerous reality might be looming in the future, We need to collectively gather and fast as a people. We need to, as a community, gather together, fast, pray, wear sackcloth, think like, um, you know, the stuff that coffee beans are in, those big burlap, think burlap. Um, Ashes, they would cover themselves in ashes to remind them and to, to, to visibly show a way of humility when they were engaging in this. So Joel, he's calling the people back to God, to repentance, to a collective time of public communal fasting, as a community, the idea, the hope being that if the people can collectively repent and show that they're truly sorry for the way that they have turned from the face of God, maybe God would intercede and maybe God would withhold some of the, the dark cloud that is coming their way. Well, our second reading that Karina led us through is from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And here we find something pretty different than what we see in Joel's treatment of the idea of fasting. In Jesus' text, there's no talk about sackcloth. There's no talk about ashes. There's no public display for Jesus. In fact, Jesus has a real issue with what he calls hypocrites, people who have sort of a public show of display who would use their religiosity as kind of a way to uh, give themselves some standing in a culture where religiosity was given authority and given prominence. He was saying that there were people in his day and age who were utilizing fasting and and the wearing of the sackcloth and the ashes, and he says they would distort their faces, which I kind of love that language, um, to make it very clear to everyone around them how holy they were, how repentant they were, and how much they were engaged in these spiritual practices. And it seemed to be the case, I would actually say it's not just seemed to be the case, it is the case by the words that Jesus um, is remembered to have said that he has no interest in terms of tangling anything up with human pride and our spirituality. The two things for Jesus seem to be completely incompatible. When our, when our pride gets wrapped up in our spirituality and our growth and our relationship with God, Jesus wants nothing to do with it. He says, fasting is between you, it's between your creator. It is not between you and your neighbor. Shut the door, close the window, If you're engaging in these intense spiritual disciplines, a good thing. For Jesus, spiritual disciplines were a very good thing, but the way we practice them and the reason for which we practice them was a big deal to the Christ. And it comes through in many places in his teaching. But for the Christ, the point of spiritual disciplines such as fasting, it it has nothing to do with how we appear or how we are, are, are sort of presented to the world around us, to those who may or may not know us. For Jesus, fasting, as with many of the other spiritual disciplines, are a lot more like a private therapy session between you and your God. It's no, in no way more effective for anybody else to know that you and God are having this time together. It does nothing to those moments that you have by allowing any outside person to be in any way aware of it. Jesus says, keep it to yourself, between you and your 
creator. Do the work of spiritual therapy with your God, but do it privately, do it internally. But here's the thing, and what this is, this is woven throughout so much of Jesus' teaching and throughout so much of the New Testament. But, but the, the idea is the kind of human that you become through doing the kind of work that Jesus is speaking to when you go away between you and God, the kind of human that you slowly come back out into the world and slowly become, that reality is going to begin to, over time, make, make notice be taken by those who are in your life. It may not be an overnight thing. It may not be a next week thing. But it's going to be something that you might not even realize in yourself is happening. But people will know. They may not know that you're fasting. But they may know that something is going on with you. Something is changing. Jesus says people should not know that you're fasting because you're acting hungry and grumpy all of the time. People should wonder what's going on with you because something is changing. Something in your life, the way you react to things, your approach to life is changing, your disposition. You're not as always living kind of in this pessimistic, dark place. Your, your sort of like guttural reactions to things seem to be different. The words, the way you even string sentences together, it's different. Like, what's going on with you? You're not nearly as aggressive. You're not nearly as attacking. You're not as defensive. You're more open. We can talk to you now. What's, what's going on with you? Kinder, gentler, more caring, compassionate. You're more empathetic. And now you all of a sudden like, think of stuff you never used to think of. You're like thoughtful. What's, what is going on, right? I don't, I don't care what you're doing. Keep doing whatever you're doing because it's working. That's what Jesus is talking about. This brings us to our final reading, our intense reading from Isaiah 58. And this text really is all about this, this reality that the goal that God has for us, it's human transformation, friends. In the text, the problem in the text is the problem of human transformation in Isaiah 58. The prophet, he's super frustrated. I'm sure if Hebrew prophets swore, Isaiah would have sworn in this text. He, he's bad. He's angry. And you can, you can see it in the imagery and the way he talks about it. He's being very direct. He's not pulling any punches. He, and he's angry because at the same time that the people are making it clear and known publicly that they're fasting, he goes on to write in verse 3 and 4, look, you serve your own interests on your fast day, and you oppress all your workers on your fast day. Look, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to strike with a wicked fist. It's almost like he's describing like a community who has low blood sugar, and they're all acting even worse than they act when they're not fasting. And I think Isaiah is basically like, what the hell are you doing? Here you are in the middle, you're like in the midst of your religious devotion, you're fasting and praying, but even more than usual, you are serving yourselves that much more, you're further oppressing your employees, you're fighting and you're quarreling and you're hating one another. Isaiah says the only external proof that you are actually fasting is that you're being even more of a jerk today than you normally are. And that hurts. 
And Isaiah says, if that's your deal, if that's the way you interact with your spirituality, with your religion, with your spiritual disciplines, you might as well just eat. Eat whatever the heck you want because at least you're a little bit nicer. I think the bigger idea here is if your religious discipline and practice is in any way just for simple show or to somehow, like in your mind, get you brownie points with the divine, then Isaiah's like, you're wasting your time. It doesn't matter. God doesn't care. Which I think for people in our culture today, I still get questions. People are like, what is on your head? You know, what do you, what do you got going on there? Um, and I intentionally push myself out of the building so that I have to have some of those awkward interactions with people. And people don't know what Ash Wednesday is all about. They don't know what Lent is. They didn't grow up Catholic or Episcopal. Even some Methodists still are confused about what Ash Wednesday is all about. Some of you might be here tonight not entirely sure what it's all about. And I believe that Ash Wednesday, like so much of our spiritual practice, is an easy thing to talk about because it is a reality that has an external piece to it, right? There is an externality to Ash Wednesday. Literally putting ashes on my forehead for people to see, for me to see. But if, if that's what it is for me, right, if it's that and nothing more, then I think the point that Jesus and Isaiah are both making in tandem is like, who cares? doesn't matter. Scraping some burnt palms from last year's palms is really beautiful and meaningful, and it is to me. But if that's all that it is and it doesn't do anything, if it doesn't impact your, the way you live your life, the kind of person that you are and are seeking to become, then it doesn't matter. At the same time, I do believe external realities can have a powerful impact on our internal experience. And I do think doing things outside of us, like the Eucharist and like Ash Wednesday and like kneeling and like doing things together corporately, these things matter. They do shape and form us. But if it's all the external and we don't see what it does and we don't allow it to do something beyond that, then we're missing it. Isaiah and Jesus' point is that people don't get extra points for doing vaguely religious things. God doesn't care how much we go to church if we remain jerks and we don't grow. And if, in fact, our religion, and I'm sure some of us could come up with some examples where people's religion is actually making them more unfortunate ways of being human instead of better ways of being human. And I think part of the point of this text, of these passages, then maybe you should take a step back and stop practicing that. Here's the thing, I really love this conversation about these sort of external symbols and how they interact with our inward world because I, I find that it helps us to reveal something really extraordinary and important that we don't talk enough about. And again, the question, the, what is the point to all of this, right? To all of this, religious practice, spiritual endeavors, being part of a church, a core group, serving together, giving our resources, participating in Ash Wednesday and, and and, and observing a Lenten discipline as individuals in our spiritual lives, why do we do all these things? Because there are definitely narratives that we're told in our world today that it's so that God's going to like us more. For some of us, it's, it's, we've, been, we've grown up with narratives, with, with language that get used of like, I want to have more checks on this side of the tally than on that side of the tally, so that when I go you know, to yonder, wherever that may be, I don't go to the bad place, Right? And for many, 
you know, especially in certain cultures, it's to, to make us look like we're good church-going people. There are people who are committed to their religious practice because they believe that it's somehow going to bring about for them in this life health and wealth and prosperity. Some people believe that being really good and pious and religious, that through that God's going to grant them some kind of exceptional favor. We call this prosperity gospel. If they do enough of the stuff, then God's going to bless them and they're going to have all the stuff. But friends, I'm here to to at least speak my thoughts, and that is that these, from my perspective, are all really, really bad reasons to embrace and to practice the Christian faith with your life and with the whole of your being. We don't embrace our faith to attempt to make the divine be more favorable towards us. We have zero impact on how much God does or does not love us. God has a parental love towards every human being on this planet. You can't fix that. You can't break that. We don't embrace our faith as an avenue to escape a bad place when we die. We don't, we don't aim to be in relationship with God because we're so afraid of something over here that's so horrible. That's just a bad theology. No, we believe that God is that good. God is that precious. God is that loving. God is that amazing. That there's nothing better than to want to seek relationship with that reality with the creator. We don't believe our faith is some kind of magic spell that's going to grant us the dreams and the earthly desires that we've always wanted. Now, friends, I am a Christian and a Christian pastor of the United Methodist ilk and tradition because I believe that this work, the practice and the embrace of my faith throughout the years, in fits and starts, in good seasons and in bad seasons, I actually believe that it has been something like a life of spiritual therapy for me that over time has changed the person that I would otherwise be today. And it's not because I did lots of great things. It's just I've been in it long enough. I've been exposed to it long enough and I've had enough encounters. I've had enough fits and enough starts. I'm telling you, for all of the the ways that I am not happy with the way that I am a human being today, I actually believe I'd be a heck of a lot worse person today if it wasn't for the Christ and the work that God has done in my life over the years. The whole thing's about formation. The whole thing is about transformation. It's about the inside of us becoming the people that we really believe God wants and is calling us to be. The way we practice our Christianity, these disciplines that we've been talking about as we've been seeking to be rooted, they're like good therapy for the human soul. They are like chemo for the cancer in our hearts. They are like penicillin for the, the rabid, selfish narcissism that our Western culture breeds today. It's like antibiotics for an infected will. The whole thing, friends, is about our complete and our utter transformation and formation into the likeness of the Christ. Fasting is not an end in of itself. Fasting is an avenue for us to have therapy, for us to experience the presence and the work of God in our lives. Spiritual practices, they have no external end in themselves. The treatment plans that when properly experienced and put into practice can bring about change in our lives over time brings us to Isaiah's 
weighty and intense point in verses six and seven when he writes of God's perspective. Is not this the fast that I, God, choose to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke? Share your bread with the hungry to bring the homeless into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin. The whole endeavor, this is Old Testament, is about our transformation into better people for the sake of our world. It's good to fast. It is good to pray. It is good to study and to meditate on scripture, to intentionally engage in the array of amazing spiritual disciplines that are available to us, friends. They're all different avenues and different ways of approaching our own therapeutic relationship with the divine as God is seeking to bring about in us the formation and the transformation of who it is God actually believes you could become. I think it's a good thing to grab hold of a Lenten focus. I don't think it's law. I don't think it's legalism. I don't think you're going to be in trouble if you don't do it. That's not the point. The point is, I think it's a really healthy practice. I'm not going to be mad at you if you don't go to the gym tomorrow or if you don't eat healthy. I still think you should do it. So this Lenten season, there's kind of like the mainstays, you know, the the rudimentary ways that you could do something. You could read scripture. You could meditate. You could buy a prayer book. You could... um, you could fast from something. You could fast from something maybe outside the box. Like, I refuse to be engaged in that toxic relationship for the season of Lent because I need to heal from that. You could fast from something that's not bad. Uh, I don't know. Like, maybe there's a television show that you've become a little too obsessed with or a game on your phone that's just eating up too much of your time. Fill in the blank. You know you, know you better than I know you. What is, what is something that God's like, it's not bad, just set it aside for 40 days so that you have more focus and more space and more time and more energy for something really good, something really healthy. And that is my segue into the way that I want to leave us this evening. And I said this this morning and I'll say it this evening. I'm really tired of Lent getting a bad rap of being this dark, penitent, sad... I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, we're all bad, the gloom and doom is coming if we don't repent. Like, okay, like, that was fine. But what if, like, what if we see it more as God is calling us to these ways of being in our lives that will ultimately bring about health and flourishing? Like, when you settle in to actually make a real change in your life that you know is going to in certain given amount of time going to truly make a difference in your life? Yeah, it's a sacrifice. But when you have what the goal is in mind, there's also like this weird sense of joy. Yeah, you're giving something up, but maybe you're giving something up that's hurting you or that's bad for you or that's bad for the people around you. Maybe you're giving something up that's just wasting your life and that isn't who, it's not helping you become the person you want to be that you believe God's calling you to be. I want, I want Lent at Eastside to be joyful because we're all seeking healing and wholeness and flourishing together. In that, I, I mean, if we're on that trajectory and that path, I pray and I hope that that brings this sort of like bubbling up of, of a joyous experience as we're on this path together. Amen? Amen, friends. Well, we hope that you've enjoyed this week's message. And we look forward to seeing you soon. If you listen from afar and you would like to support the work that we are doing in East Atlanta and on Atlanta's east side, 
You can visit our website, www.eastsideatl.org, and find our giving portal there.